Welcome to today's Mara Colloquium. The TAP is exploring the use of linked data to bridge state and federal archives. This is a new topic for us, and it's one that I hope you'll enjoy. John Boss is the founder of Look Back Maps. If you haven't discovered that website yet, I encourage you to do so tomorrow after the presentation. You'll be very interested in seeing what John is doing. He uh, is a very innovative person and he has a lot of very neat things going on. Um, I won't spend a lot of time introducing John. I think you're going to get to know him uh, as he does his presentation here. And so what I'm going to do right now is turn the mic over to John. Hey, thanks everyone for taking time out to check this out. And Pat, thank you very much for inviting me. Um, and I also want to thank Lori Lindbergh, who's been instrumental in getting me involved with uh, some of the things going on at San Jose State. Um, so I'm going to talk tonight about uh, the use of linked data to bridge state and federal archives. And it's all around this project called the Civil War Data 150 project. And uh, just to give you a little overview of what we're going to go over, and um, also Pat had mentioned I'm, I'm probably not going to be able to follow along too closely with the, with the uh, chat stuff on the side, and she'll help me moderate the the questions in the middle and at the at the end. I'm not too used to the Illuminate system here, so I'm doing the best I can with uh, these headphones strapped to my to my head. Um, so uh, just we'll go over a quick in, uh, intro on on things and look at uh, the evolution context of the Civil War Data 150 project and the real exciting time that we find ourselves in right now. Uh, and then we'll go over an overview of the project itself after the question and answer in the middle where we can sort of catch up and, and you know, make sure we're, everyone's following along, if there are any questions that come up, um, I want to go into a little bit more of the technical de details, not too much, but look at some of the methodology and tools um, before we look at Civil War Data 150 within the, the big picture. Uh, and then I've, I've put together quite a few links um, for folks to dig deeper on, which, which I'll go over and, and we'll make that available as well at the end. Um, so while we're doing this, if you use Twitter, that's uh, the best way to get me before and after. I've got my email up here as well. But uh, look back maps on Twitter. Feel free to throw comments up there. And uh, I'll check back with you on those later if you have questions as well or want to contact me directly. So just by way of introduction, um, Look Back Maps is a project that I started a couple years ago. And um, I'm an IT consultant, have run my own IT business, uh, working with small and medium nonprofits and businesses uh, for about seven years now. And um, I started Look Back Maps as just a way to share um, and geotag historical photos from across different archives. Uh, for me, I live in the Mission District in San Francisco and have, have long been captivated by San Francisco history. So uh, I got this great message signed from the universe several years ago when I had been thinking about this idea. Uh, a couple guys came over to our house and uh, asked if they could start digging a hole in the backyard because they had an old Sanborn map that showed that we had an old outhouse back there. And, and these guys were privy diggers, it turns out, and privy diggers finds old privies um, before there was municipal trash collection. And 
basically find the old jars and bottles and bones and other things that people threw away. And uh, these guys came, they, lo and behold, they found this privy in, the, in our backyard and uh, I have two sons who watched absolutely captivated as, as these guys dug down uh, about six feet, eight feet, and, and all of a sudden they started pulling out old medicine bottles and flasks and everything else. And that to me was a sign that it was time to share this project to look back maps and start to uh, devote some developer time to it and, and that's what I've done. Uh, in, in a way, it's, it's, you know, I came at it not with the experience of a historian or anything else, but really as, as someone in the web community that, that wanted to take advantage of this great stuff. So um, anyway, that's, that's how I started to do it, and this was in 2008. It started with a simple Google My Maps mashup and, uh, and then started to grow into this idea of creating community around local history. So. Um, want to look at some of these ways so that, you know, one specific point that I want to make is that my perspective is one of presenting data and not from organizing it. So it's, that's kind of biased my opinion on, on how I use this information. And you can see here we've, we've built an iPhone app and this is just to give you a little introduction to some of the stuff that we do um, with this iPhone app. It has sort of an augmented reality version on it where it takes the historical photo and overlays it over your camera view. So you can go to this place, um, in this case uh, uh, a mass after the 1906 earthquake in the mission that was held at this house. And you can see some of these other ones. So it's kind of a fun way to bring history to life and, and that's really what I've been interest, interested in um, over the years. And what I found is as I started to do that, um, I realized that while we were geotagging all these photographs, we were creating another isolated database, even though that's something we were trying to solve for. And that's led me to work on this idea of linked data, the possibility of, of um, using linked data to, uh, to really share these things in a way that we can, we can improve upon data and use it with, within APIs or other, other developer stand, uh, frame, frames of reference that we can use. Um, just to contextualize, uh, that 2008, which is when I started uh, the Look Back Maps project, uh, was also what I see to be a major shift for, for public archives. Um, with uh, late 2007, the Library of Congress started working with Flickr and created the Flickr Commons. And to me, this really blew the door wide open uh, for Web 2.0 uh, for archives and institutions worldwide. So all of a sudden, you had institutions just clamoring for this ability to take their collections, put it to a place where so many people are already looking at historical photographs, and also get tags and notes, other information that you know, they weren't able to get otherwise. They were tapping into sort of niche networks, people who were interested in one specific thing, trains or streetcars or whatever it is, and they were finding that they were contributing a lot to it. Uh, another thing that happened around 2008 was the development of, of several key open source collections management tools like Omeka, DSpace. Uh, they've been around for a while, but their development really started to take hold as institutions started to review options, um, you know, for for new tools. They had maybe been using ContentDM since since 2000 or so, and then it was time to look for something else. So they're starting to look at open source solutions that give us the ability to um, put add-ons and other, other tools 
uh, to actually access the data. So these are two critical shifts that happened around 2008, which we're really starting to see the benefits of now. Uh, just wanted to throw a few stats in here about the uh, Library of Congress Flickr Commons project. This came out a year after they started, so this was a while ago now. It was in uh, October 2008. But even in that short year, you can see that they had 10.4 million views of Library of Congress photos on Flickr. 79% of those um, of the 4,615 photos have been made a favorite. 67,000 tags were added by 2,500 unique Flickr accounts. Um, they, one of the big concerns as they did this was would people tag it up with inappropriate type things. Of all of those tags, only 25 instances required removal. And more than 500 records then had been enhanced with new information provided by the Flickr community. So there's just a ton of stuff that was going around with this. Um, the doors are wide open for people to access and interact with the holdings of the Library of Congress. And now some 60 institutions have joined. There's been a backlog of institutions waiting to join. Um, and so real excitement has been generated with this and, and really a new um, a real new framework for people to interact with this stuff. So one thing I wanted to look at here is uh, while you know, we could say that the majority of archives and libraries uh, kind of remain in a web 1.0 environment. If you think of the archives that you work with or, or that you interact with um, that I peruse on a day-to-day -day basis, most of them are still in a, in a 1.0 environment where the, the emphasis has been on organization, on, on really good metadata, but it's not really organized in a way that I can interact with it or I as a programmer, which I'm not, but as if a programmer could touch it and, and um, integrate it into their programs, uh, that really doesn't exist yet. Even though the everyday user of the World Wide Web has these Web 2.0 expectations. Uh, so I'm, what I would say is that institutions and users are now in this Web 2.0 environment starting to meet in the middle. Um, to build community around these holdings. And I think there's a lot of interest uh, in the library, archives, museum world to do this. Some of the common things that we're, where we're meeting in the middle is the idea of searching and sharing. Archives want to get their holdings out to a wider reaching public, and users want to search across institutions to discover based on interest, locality, et cetera. Uh, people want to be able to discuss and engage and create community around the images they see. Uh, this is something we found with look back maps, the importance of um, the importance of locality in terms of seeing just your neighborhood history. What did my neighborhood look like? Uh, and actually reaching out to to other neighbors who are interested in the same thing. You actually tend to meet your neighbors that way. Um, it's been the same with other interest groups. Um, people are starting to expect that they can, particularly with Flickr and Flickr Commons, these kind of photo sharing tools. Um, the ability to tag things, the ability to improve upon things, uh, to either use machine tags or geotag or crowdsource some of the um, textual type work uh, that we're starting to see happen as well. And then the comparison element, particularly with photographs, has been very compelling. Um, the idea of seeing the then and now, uh, where you could see what a neighborhood used to look like. Uh, you're starting to see more and more iPhone apps. Um, and uh, computer implementations, and we'll look at some of those a little bit later. So with, within this context, the stage is really set for collaboration and innovation between 
uh, institutions, cultural heritage institutions, and developers and others. Um, you can start to see mashups, collaborations, uh, evolution of shared data sets, open source tools, open data. Um, and this is just an example of, of where we may be going. This is the latest from Bing. Um, they've, I don't know if anyone's seen this, but their street side photos, uh, it's sort of their answer to the, um, it's their answer to the uh, to Google Street View, and it's great to see these uh, these companies putting resources into this, and and really uh, comparing or in contrasting what they can do with the technology. In this case, Bing is actually using the PhotoSense technology to algorithmically find historical photos and match them to the street scenes in a three-dimensional view. So this is just some of the excitement that's. Uh, building and some of the tools that are starting to evolve uh, and will continue to over the next few years. Um, in 2009, we gathered uh, a group of archivists and technologists to start exploring collaborative efforts um, to connect isolated archives and data sets. Lori Lindbergh was, was one of those in that working group and, and uh, we continue to get together once in a while. Uh, as often as we can anyway to try and talk about some of the ways that we can do this. Uh, it's called the Archives Metadata Mapping Project and we really had a few specific goals uh, in this working group. One was to join data in a robust, scalable, community-maintained database. So could we take metadata from different archives and different institutions and join them in, a, in, in one database where we could then improve upon them? Uh, another was to increase discovery of and traffic to these archives while adding value to the data through crowdsourcing. The main focus of this was geotagging. Uh, and Look Back Maps was, was really the first step for me in terms of developing these tools. Um, but again, once the things were geotagged, once the photos were geotagged, those institutions couldn't easily access them. So the, the key was to build a database or use a database uh, that would allow those institutions to, to um, to get back and, and access that geotagged information, the latitude, longitude, and apply it to their own, add it to their own metadata. Uh, finally, we wanted to make the data searchable and available to other web applications uh, via an API and semantic web queries. Uh, so this, again, has to do with institutions or other developers being able to get at and access that information so that we're not building a new website or a new application, and every time we do, even though we can improve upon that data, if that data remains behind another separate database, it's not useful to other developers in the World Wide Web community. So over the course of several months uh, and in several meetings, two important outcomes came from these. The first was really identifying the potential of using linked data. Uh, and using it now, not waiting for the publishing standards to evolve or for the other, you know, for the, the technology to take hold within the, the libraries, archives, and museums community, but to actually use Freebase as uh, a linked data publishing platform. The other very important aspect that we realized needed to happen was we needed to develop use cases. Um, we felt that uh, libraries and archives really only saw this as uh, an additional standard, and if it's just another standard, you know, why why is it worth going through that? We've already got OAIP, MH, we've already got EAD, these other um, ways to share our data. Why another one? So we realized that we had to develop a use case uh, to show what we could do with this kind of data if it was open. Now we're on the 
uh, 27th slide here, and so I'm really and that and just now am I going to get around to defining linked data, uh, and and there's a reason for that actually. Uh, we can talk a lot about linked data, and we can talk a lot about the technical aspects of it, but honestly, the the real important piece of it is the conceptual. Um, we I'm not going to go into any great depth uh, in terms of standards or RDF or any of the tools that we can use um, because I think the, the main point is to see conceptually what we can do with it. Um, but I will say this, when I'm talking about linked data, essentially what I'm saying is that we're providing ways to start linking data on the World Wide Web, not just documents. So it's an important point. Um, we've, the World Wide Web is built on sharing documents. So if you go to uh, any web page, that's a document that's linked to another document. Um, Back when Tim Berners-Lee first started talking about the World Wide Web in the 90s, uh, he just said, "Share your sh let's share our documents on the web, let's see what happens. And that's what the World Wide Web is now. It's, it's a series of a web of linked documents. Now we want to take it a step further and actually link to the data so that we can start to get down into the, the, da the data that lives in all of these disparate databases, build applications and tools. So when we talk about linked data, when I talk about linked data, I'm really talking about the fact that it's something that entails using tools and standards to make information like metadata, mark records, et cetera, searchable and machine readable. So those are the keys. You know, that's really all we need to know about linked data right now. We can go into some depth later if we need to. Um, and, I've, and I've put together a great set of resources at the end where you can really dig deeper into this. Um, and this, this picture here shows kind of an, an illustration of what we can do with linked data. You have the linked data standards as sort of the topsoil there. Beneath that, beneath all the different websites, you have um, archival databases, library databases, bibliographic records, museum collections, all these different kinds of things when we're talking about the library archives and museum community. And the flowers at the top represent tools that can be used to access those different data sets uh, presented in different ways, uh, looking at information in new ways. And this is really uh, what the Civil War Data 150 project is about. So the Civil War Data 150 project was born out of conversations with Archives of Michigan. They were one of the participants in the uh, Archives Metadata Mapping Project. And I, was, I had a meeting with Mark Harvey, who's an archivist for the state of Michigan. In Lansing, we were just having a casual lunch, and he was telling me that the um, the Civil War sesquicentennial was coming up, and one of the committees had uh, suggested to him that they build a new website. And he had done a, a great deal of work, um, incredible stuff, at SeekingMichigan.org um, to really build a website that got uh, you know created a really good presentation of the data that exists in in the content DM. Uh, uh, database. And it's a great site. I, I highly recommend it. Uh, they've really built a lot of content and issuing ways to get at it. And so as we talked about this idea of building a new website, uh, we really, you know, I said, well, what if, what if we did it, what if we built something that would allow other people to access your data, uh, do things with it, geotag it, link it to regiments, uh, take a diary and link that to the soldier or, you know, link it to the regiment so that you can learn more about a regiment. And, and that's really the dream here of, of what we're trying to build. We had a couple key ingredients we realized for a really strong use case and something that we had been talking about for a while. First, we had the specific subject matter. It's finite. We're talking about the Civil War. We're talking about four years of American history. 
We have a lot of data on regiments, on battles, casualties, battlefields, flags, all kinds of things that you can see here in this, in this illustration. We're also talking about uh, something that has diverse data in a wide array of institutions. So we have federal archives, we have uh, Library of Congress, National Archives, National Park Service. Um, we also have you know, over 20, 30 states that have all kinds of data in different databases. And then we have a passionate user group as well. Uh, Civil War buffs, uh, educators, historians, there's uh, all kinds of stuff written. Uh, you've got people who are reenacting it every year uh, and really investing in, in uh, learning more about the Civil War. And then of course you have the sesquicentennial, which is something I've learned how to spell in the last six months. Um, and, I, and I don't think I even knew what it meant before that. So it's the 150 year anniversary of the Civil War. It starts in April of uh, 2011 and will go for four years. And there's all kinds of great state and federal projects around that, uh, really exploring uh, from the Civil War to civil rights is what a lot of uh, states and, and institutions are looking at. And uh, we'll see a lot of great exhibits coming out from that. And we really want to get to the data and make that useful. So we've got three primary goals. First is to identify sources and map metadata into freebase. So we're out identifying, and we'll, we'll get into this a little bit uh, after the break, but we're, at, we're we're, we're finding uh, primary sources that have useful metadata for us, be it photographs, um, be it photographs of regimental flags, uh, descriptions of regiments, diaries, uh, things like this that we can start to build a web around. Uh, the second step in this project is to create web applications to enable users to add or to modify the shared metadata. So the, the key piece of this is to link to shared identifiers. So unlike the Flickr Commons, where you can, or Flickr for that matter, where you can go to a photograph and you can tag it up, say what it is to you, you know, San Francisco, sunshine, whatever it is, um, you'll have all kinds of dis dis disparate spellings, um, different kinds of words. What we're, what we're planning to do is use web applications that would allow you to, for instance, in this photograph here that you see, um, if that metadata, that description says anything, and in this case it does, it says what regiment the soldier belongs to, you can actually link it to that regiment, and you only have a choice of, of the regiments that we have that exist. Um, so you couldn't mess up the spellings, it will actually autocorrect for you. Um, strong identifiers is the key point there. Um, finally, uh, the, the third step in the process is to engage the public in the process of interacting with and adding to this, adding to the value of this data. Um, so this is an important point, um, one we'll cover a little bit later, but uh, you know, some of this stuff we can do algorithmically, some of it we can do um, on our own with data munging, but we want people to get their hands dirty with this data. We want them to actually look at the photos, determine is this a person, a place, or a thing? Can I put this on a map? Can I define what regiment this is? And in so doing, uh, not only are they contributing to the data, and actually doing some work for us, but they're also making a personal connection uh, to this historical event. So I'm going to put the mic down for a minute. Um, Pat, if, if you want to help moderate, if anyone has any questions up to this point uh, about linked data, about the environment in which this project arose, um, 
I'd be happy to hear that. And then uh, from here, we'll go in a little bit into more technical de details uh, on the project. And I'll share a little bit of the methodology and, and how we're doing things. Hi. Um, very interesting project. I was wondering, um, we've been looking lately a lot at um, the standard nomenclature for data fields and metadata fields, um, such as um, perhaps like being used in the National Information Exchange model. I, I heard you say that um, with the one picture, if you're looking at the gentleman, you would only pick from the regiments that you had information about. Is there a standard, um, what I would call a data dictionary or nomenclature list that uh, people can use to tag the metadata so that you don't wind up with one person saying, uh, you know, hit and the other person saying push. Yeah, that's a really good point um, and something which is really exciting to me about the library and archives community uh, in, in the contributions that particularly you guys have to make, honestly. Um, what we'll use in this case, just as an example, is um, We'll, we'll use the National Park Service uh, has a guide to, well, they have a, a directory of all the regiments. And there's some, I mean, it's pretty exhaustive. I think it's about 4,000 regiments. And so the tools that we'll use, once that data is in Freebase, so Freebase sort of represents, in this case, um, a consolidator of, of all the information. So. Um, we'll be able to put in, you know, for instance, the 7th Michigan Infantry. As you start to type 7th, it'll auto-complete based on, on what's already in there. So it won't let you put something in there that's not in there. Um, and then a, a few people will have to kind of create the same answer before it actually writes to the database. Um, but then it, from there, it may refer to the Wikipedia article as well as to the National Park Service or, or something else. Uh, so it's, but it's really critical from from the data standpoint, uh, and, and for me as somebody just in the in the web community, I've been learning a lot about the ontologies, the libraries, the vocabularies, um, which were which are obviously going to be critical to making this work. I'm from Maryland, so I'm very interested in this Civil War project. Um, how extensive is it? Um, how many states are on board to be involved in this? And is it done through state government or uh, you know? What kind of organization is going on for this? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, right now, we're at this a uh, little bit of logistics. We're at the first phase, which is identifying the data sources. Um, so between the Archives of Michigan, who's sort of our ombudsman to the state level, uh, as well as uh, folks at Library of Congress and the National Park Service. You know, I, before I started doing any work in the Civil War, I didn't really think of the National Park Service as a great data resource. But it turns out that they have incredible amounts of data, and, and they're actually getting ready to launch a new Civil War website, which is driven mainly by geospatial data. It's going to be absolutely fascinating, um, which I think they're planning to release by the end of July. Um, so. Right now, we'll reach across as many states as have archives. We'll go a little bit into depth, and I'll show you some of the data in terms of how it exists and in, in, um, the quality of the digital uh, archives. And I'll talk a little bit more about that later. OK, so um, this is where hopefully we'll be able to answer some of these specific data questions and actually look at what, what kind of data are, are we getting into here. Um, 
and I'm going to try and do this using the uh, using the web tour elements. Uh, first of all, one thing that you can do, I want to make sure you see this link here, um, and I'm going to go ahead and go to it as well. Uh, there's a wiki entry at Freebase where we're keeping track of our progress, um, and you can follow along with this as well. Um, you'll see that we've we have. I don't know how this is showing up on your screen. It doesn't format very well on mine. But it shows some of the, the data sources that we're starting to look at. And uh, we'll dig a little bit deeper into that right now. So the first step, as we talked about, was identifying primary data sets. And this is where we look at, at what really exists out there um, and, and how do we get to it. So we have a Google Doc, which is, this is open to the public. I'm going to bring this up here again. So what we've done in our first cursory look at the data is, is just kind of gone out there and, and done a purview of, of the different uh, states that are active and, and what kind of databases they have. And we've gone ahead and, and ranked this in priority. Now, um, we've had a lot of help from some of the partners in this in this program, particularly the Internet Archive, who's helping us with web crawls. And the first uh, set of data that we've decided to tackle. Now, before I go into that, let me just show you some of the uh, fields here that we're looking at. So you've got the name of of uh, the the name of the collection and the institution. We've got a link to that as well. Um, we've given it a priority based on. Uh, the quality of the content and the ease of, of getting to that data. Uh, so the first row here is the Library of Congress um, photos of the Civil War. There's 7,300 some photos. And uh, the database is proprietary, but they've given us some access to that. We can use OAI PMH, which um, our developer team is preferred to actually do a web crawl and uh, actually screen scrape the data. And we can also see that there's no um, restrictions from the robots.txt file, which would disallow web crawling. Uh, so those are some of the factors that we've added to that. Let's see if I can link into this so you can just get a picture of this. Mm, I don't think you can. and do it manually. So this is the Library of Congress uh, Civil War Photographs Collection. And you can get an idea of, of what some of these images look like. Um, this shows us in a grid view. And this is a recent, uh, a recent change they made to the database where you can actually mouse over things and, and see a little bit of a zoom. Uh, so what we're planning to do for this is, is do a web crawl, as I said, uh, to access the individual um, metadata items in a very simple way, essentially just the title, um, the collection identifier, uh, and some of the other information about this that we could then use. Uh, typically, the title, as you can see, uh, I, I hope that you can see this as I mouse over it, but this shows me that the um, a lot of these have the, inf the regimental information in them. Uh, so we could parse that out. This is, again, gets back to the point where we could parse that data out algorithmically. But we really want to engage the public uh, in, in doing that themselves. Uh, we're thinking of working with educators 
high schools, high school students and teachers um, as a real project that would be um, a really useful way of, of getting into this data. So what we're doing is identifying essentially what kind of database is it? Do we need to get to it by web crawling or screen scraping or can we get an XML dump? Can we get CSV files? And, and that's the process we're going through right now. The second step, once we get that data um, and can actually bring it into Freebase, uh, and, and we'll go a little bit into Freebase here, uh, then we create something called Ravage Queues. And, and what this does is it gives us the ability to identify um, or create a queue, first of all, and then identify information about things that are in that queue. Uh, so one example of, of what we're looking at doing is using that Library of Congress photo set to create a queue and ask people to say, is this a person, a place, or a thing? Just simply that. Go through the images and tell us it's a person, place, or thing. That sends it to another queue. Uh, so that we can then start to identify names or we can start to identify regiments. And I want to show you an example of how that works. Okay, so digitally, virtually holler if you can see that. Okay, thanks, I see that in the comments. Uh, so this, this project called Genderizer essentially takes a, a queue of information in Freebase that it doesn't have gender information about. So it's a very simple application and uh, it uses a sort of data gaming principle. As you can see, there's a leaderboard uh, that gives you an incentive to, to get up on the leaderboard and, and kind of have fun with it as well. Uh, so you can see a lot of these you're just not going to know. They, we've got keyboard shortcuts here. So imagine the same idea where we had a, a photograph with the title metadata or something like that, and you could say, is this a person, place, or thing? And you could use your keyboard to say, essentially, I don't know, or I do, you know, I do know, I don't know. So here, Michael Shedak, I don't know because we don't, we're not really getting any other information, but I'm going to guess and say Michael. You know, a lot of these names, I have no idea. Right. So, Again, these are, this is just an example of, of how we can do this. Now, the, the, the other great feature about Ravage Queues is that you can determine uh, how, many answers, uh, how many answers are required to make this, uh, to write to the database. So I think for these, you know, maybe set to three, three answers that are the same before it goes. So if, if you have a, you know, somebody doesn't invert or is just a skipping through it, the, you know, it, it doesn't affect the database. The other, the other key component to this is that the data that we've brought into Freebase uh, is not affected in, in, or changed in any way on the database owners. Uh, so the Library of Congress data is, is not going to be affected in any way by the work that we do within Freebase. They may have the ability to bring, they will have the ability to bring that data back once it's revised, once photographs are geotagged or um, strong identifiers are created for regimental data, they can then bring that back. But the fact that it's in Freebase is not going to, um, you know, the work that we can do on that data is independent of the data that's held in those institutions. So that's genderizer and the ravage queues. Um, now,
So the next step is to apply this to data that needs work, like the regiments or the photo queue. Um, and then we can also look at the schema. So I'm going to drill down into this a little bit and show you how that looks in Freebase if you're not familiar with it. Um, and I, I would definitely encourage you to play with it uh, on your own as well. Um, but hopefully I can give you a little bit of a preview of how that looks. So we can't see all of my screen here, but this is a list that I built uh, using data that's already in Freebase. Uh, and this data primarily comes from Wikipedia. Uh, DBpedia takes the little boxes that you might see on Wikipedia, the, the little um, fact boxes. And that's structured data and can bring it in. Uh, Hillary, I just saw your question. I'm seeing some of these questions on the side. Ravage, I don't know what it stands for, and I don't think they do either. Um, so we can look that up a little bit later on the wiki, on the wiki uh, within Freebase. So here on the on the uh, this list that I built here, and you can start to you can build your own bases once you log into Freebase, uh, and of course it's free to log in. You can build your own views and tables uh, of different information. In this case, I I created a search of all Michigan Civil War units, uh, and so we can see that. We have a couple different identifying columns, uh, an image if one is attached to it, an armed force, a unit size, and in this case these are all regiments, and a date it was formed uh, in this table. So, and then we can see a, sh a short article. Uh, so for the most part, you can see in these short, um, these came from the information boxes in Wikipedia, uh, we'll see a name and we'll see uh, a place that, that a a regiment was organized and the, the data was mustered in. But that hasn't, that structured data hasn't been applied within Freebase to these columns. And so this is something that we hope to build queues for. So you can just simply say, is this a union or a confederate unit? Um, we know that they're all regiments. We'll probably do that on a, on a uh, you know, on a script level. And then tell us what day it was, what day it was mustered in. And this is, again, this is stuff that we could parse out of that uh, and make useful, but we want to engage the public on this. So let's dig a little bit deeper into the schema as well. And this is um, one of the things that we're doing in, in making sure that the schema reflects the information that we need. Um, within Freebase and typically within the world of linked data as well, the schema is adjustable based on the domains. Uh, so in this case, we're looking at the Civil War, but that applies to military units in general. And essentially, people who are passionate about these or involved in the linked data, um, the linked data community are, are making these changes and suggestions. And uh, once you, you can actually make any changes to the schema on your own with, the own work, with your own work that you're doing. Um, but at a certain point, once that's been used enough or as the, the community has decided it's, uh, it's applicable enough, it'll be adapted to the commons, uh, the Freebase commons, which then assigns that schema to everything. So there may be a military commons. Um, I'm not sure in, in this case if that's been adopted. So you can see here some of the military unit properties. So if something is a military unit, like a, a regiment that we've just named, it will have these properties that you can assign to it. Uh, size, um, what kind of an armed force it is, when it was formed, when it was disbanded, 
and we can actually get in and you can see that the formation is a specific has a specific qualification and that's a date and a time. So you can see that the, the property of a date and time is as follows. Um, it can have an object and these things apply to the date and, date and time. You know, in this case it doesn't have any properties, it just has a standard as you see above. Um, so we can see a formation when it was disbanded uh, was a part of another assignment here were there subdivisions a unit A, unit B, uh, as, as often is the case. What was the place of origin, which is what we see in a lot of these Civil War regiments. It was, it was formed in a certain area. Um, it'll also have these to uh, common topic properties. So any, you know, basically any kind of a military unit is also a topic uh, or a type. And so we can assign it uh, an image or a web link. Uh, we could assign it to a topic, et cetera. Uh, so for instance, if we wanted to assign a web link to it and, and say this web page is about this regiment, which is what we'll be doing, you can see some of the web page properties that you can use. Is there a URL? Is there a text title? A topic? We may say this is part of the Civil War topic, um, et cetera. So this drills down just a little bit into the schema, and um, you can you can go pretty deep into this. Uh, but this is important for us to identify for the Civil War data project. Do we have the schema in place that's appropriate for the Civil War regiments? Um, for instance, we had a lot of talk about what we would do with regimental flags. There's a lot of regimental flags. We had to make sure that there was uh, a symbol, that's what the type is called, that, that a military unit may have a symbol assigned to it, and that symbol may be the flag. Uh, so there has been some adjusting of the schema to, to suit this, and, and this is something where uh, we, we have to rely on the experts in this domain to help advise this, uh, advise us of this, and, and figure out how that would work. So we'll be looking those are the first and second parts, really the, the data side of it and, and what we need to do on, on our side to prepare the data for this project. The third part of it is engaging the public, creating powerful user interface. Uh, essentially, the public, when we talk about will it be Civil War enthusiasts, will it be high school students, middle school students, um, whoever that, that may be engaging in this project, uh, we want to have uh, a clear message, powerful images, we don't want them to see the back end of, of what I was just showing you. They don't need to, and it actually uh, dilutes from the ease of, of access and in, in, in working with this. That's the beauty of Flickr, for instance, is you see a photo, you throw a tag in there, that's good user interface, and, and that's what we'll be looking for this. We also want to introduce some of this gaming, uh, gaming elements where you have a little bit of a contest going on, you know, who, who gave the most valuable information or who gave the most information, um, for instance. That just part is, makes it fun, adds a reward element to it. Um, that's, that's pretty important. Another important part of the, the public engagement strategy around Civil War data is really making this plea for assistance. Um, we're, we're, we're asking for help and we're giving an opportunity to genuinely make, genuinely make records more useful. And, and this is part of the secret 
behind the Library of Congress, when we look at the press that started to, to be generated right after the, the Flickr experiment that they started to do, which resulted in the Flickr Commons, a lot of uh, the press that was generated around that was that the Library of Congress is asking for your help. And a lot of people responded to that. So we feel that that's a really important part of this. Uh, and then we look at sort of what, what's the holy grail here. Uh, I want to talk to you just for a second about the Civil War Soldier Survival App and what happens if we're able to actually link all this data um, and create identifiers. The idea is that you can have uh, a semantic chain, chain query. You know, you can, you can go along the path of a question and, and put in one piece of data and come out with one result. In this case, if I was, I want to be able to say if I was born in, in one city, Grand Rapids, Michigan, for instance, we know that Grand Rapids, Michigan uh, was, you know, or the regiments that formed from, from residents of Grand Rapids, Michigan, for instance, uh, were in this, I don't know what it is off the top of my head, we'll say it's the 7th Michigan Infantry. And if I was in the 7th Michigan Infantry, we know because the data is linked, the battles that the 7th Infantry engaged in. We know what the casualties were for the 7th Infantry. So we know that just, because, just by being in, uh, born in Grand Rapids at the time of the Civil War, being a, uh, at a soldier age, I would have had a 70% chance of surviving the Civil War as a soldier. Uh, so that's, that's the exciting element of, of, of having linked data and what you can do with it, where you can take one single piece of information and from that deduct these other things based on the linked data. And that's kind of, we don't know if it's possible. We want to see what the research questions are, where we get stuck with that. Uh, but that's what we're shooting for. So just for a minute, I want to look at the big picture before we open it up to other questions. I know I'm running out of time. This is a great picture I took a few weeks ago um, at the National Archives. It looks a lot like linked data to me. Uh, you've got, uh, this is the banner advertising the Discovering the Civil War exhibit that's, that's at the National Archives and records right now. And, uh, Essentially, the Civil War Data 150 is a strong use case. This is an example of, of what we can do and what can become possible if libraries, archives, museums start to publish their own metadata utilizing linked data standards. Um, we're looking at what these use cases are. How can people use it? What can we do? What, what questions can we ask? What answers can we find if that data is available uh, to the public? Um, one of the things that we're finding as we go into this is that the technological barriers are not as significant as the institutional barriers. Uh, we spend a lot of time looking at copyright questions. Um, people have decided what the copyrights could be on, on a photograph, but they haven't necessarily decided what the copyright will be on the metadata, and that may be a different question. So you're seeing a lot of work in the Creative Commons around that. Um, to me, I think that the Flickr Commons shift has really changed that. And something I'm calling the Flickr Commons shift, where institutions know that they want to get their data out there. And they're willing to say, okay, this is a no-known copyright situation, and we want to put it out there to get people's involvement. So if we can use that as a, as a standard and say, well, if you're going to put it on Flickr Commons, then you could release your metadata with the same kind of copyright restriction. People could do the same kinds of things with it. Um, one thing that we've, we've really sidestepped with this conversation and, and, and in this presentation as well, and that's the next, the big next step as I'm calling it, and that's the ability to enable institutions to actually publish their own metadata. Now, I say we're sidestepping it because we're using Freebase as a semantic pub publishing platform. We're going out 
and getting that data in a, in a tabular format or bringing it into Freebase where it enters the world of graphs uh, and becomes useful in a different way. But ultimately, these institutions are going to need to publish their own metadata as linked data. And, and that's the next big step. How do we enable these institutions to do that? And, and what are the projects and uses that are going to make a strong argument for that? I want to be clear that I think libraries, archives, and museums are going to be critical to the adoption of linked data, and there's a couple of reasons for that. First of all, you're talking about vast information stored in disparate, isolated databases um, by libraries, archives, museums, galleries across the world. And that data is going to be useful, particularly into the humanities world um, in terms of doing text mining, uh, doing all kinds of work with historical photos, showing them on maps, displaying them in ways we haven't seen that before. Uh, the, other piece of the, the other piece of the puzzle that I think particularly your world, you guys have this, this level of expertise. I'm just learning the language that goes along with it. Um, but that's how to organize systems and vocabularies to make sense of this information. Um, that is going to be the key to the semantic web working, that you have common ontologies, common vocabularies that people can refer to. So we can say when we're talking about this person, this is the person we're talking about, and other people can, re can refer to that. And I want to say that, that you know, this world is one that you can be on the front lines of. This movement is one that you will be on the front lines of. If this is going to be successful, uh, I think that the libraries, archives, museums are really going to have to lead the way in it and really have that opportunity uh, to, to, to move forward and, and do that. Uh, here's a sheet that's, that shows you some ways that you can dig deeper. Um, we've got a lot of great presentations on here uh, that I've referred to um, from the library element. Uh, the OCLC is, is in the middle of a two-part series on, on linked data, uh, OCLC research. Uh, these links are all there. And um, there's another great um, talk given in April by a couple of uh, librarians in Nova Scotia, I think. I think. Um, did a great presentation on the tools that are actually available now to publish as linked data from a library perspective. Uh, JASC has done some great stuff. Ed Summers at the at, um, Library of Congress is doing incredible work on the library side. Archive side, I just want to mention Mark Medienzo. Uh, this is a link to one of his uh, SlideShare presentations, which really gets into how this fits into the archival world. Uh, Tim Ragg is doing great work with the Flickr machine tag challenge. A few other things in here you can get into, um, some tools you can look at, and also uh, Tim Berners-Lee's talks, uh, which are more generally about linked data, not in the libraries and archives world, but they're short talks, give you a great idea of, of what some of this potential is. So I'm going to stop talking. I'm going to put that link up there and uh, just kind of want to ask, what would you do if you had access to this data? What kind of questions would you ask? Uh, what kind of presentations would you make? Uh, and then I'll open uh, open things up to questions. Thank you. Well, uh, I'm going to uh, echo Tyler's wow. This was very interesting. Thank you so much, John. And uh, you're all very happy with it. I'm sure we have so much more to learn. Uh, but this was a great start. Uh, now I'd like to ask if any of you do have questions. We have time for some questions here. Hi, John. Thanks again. Um, Interesting, I actually snuck away for a minute and I grabbed a um, autobiography or biography written about one of my ancestors, uh, like Jenny. I'm originally from Maryland. I'm in Virginia now. And um, at the back of the book, my dad's cousin has 
copied in some original letters that were written during the Civil War. One particular one that, that always strikes me is the one written the day after President Lincoln was assassinated. And so looking at this and this, these pieces of memorabilia that are within my family, and obviously no one would ever give them to the archives, but through this we might have an opportunity to share it with others, like we know that he was in the 148th Regiment, blah, blah, blah. And so there could be other people looking for information about what the regiment was doing on a given day that we could have that we could share but won't give away. Is, the, is there a way through this project that, you know, the, the general public would be able to contribute? And I know that's making this much, much bigger. Um, or is there, um, or will directions be put up, I guess, of how the public can give copies to the archives, perhaps? Thanks. Yeah, that's a good question um, and one that we haven't breached yet. It, it does technologically take on a whole, a whole different level. Um, one thing that we, we've talked about, uh, we had a call with the National Park Service recently, and uh, that was something that they brought up as well. And, and they let me know that a lot of states are actually um, having going to the to the extent of of actually having vans that will go around and scan things at local libraries that people have to bring in. Uh, so we'll, we will have to figure out how to tap in to that, and we'll be working with um, sort of the national networks of uh, states and local institutions that are doing that kind of work and, and we'll have to present that on the web page or at least link to those that are. Thank you so much, John, for uh, this presentation. I really enjoyed it and I know the others did as well.